0: Well, let me add my welcome to those of others if you happen to be a guest with us. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be worshiping with you. And uh, we, we took a little break last week from our, our summer series. We've got a summer series going on uh, the names of God used throughout, throughout the Bible. Uh, but last week was what's quite exciting if you were here. It was a global mission emphasis. We had a, a newer missionary whom we're supporting, the Reverend Shelva Smith Mather, here and then uh, missionaries we've supported for a long time in Murray and Carol Mormon and and Murray preached for us it's just great to have them all here Um, and when when Pastor Josh was making that announcement about our partnership with the Hungarian church planting movement I I found myself wishing and this is one of those times I wish I could press a button and download from my brain to yours uh, what a big deal this really is I think I've maybe said this before I want to keep saying it because it's a big deal Uh, Four churches in the West Michigan area partnered together about five years ago to assist a university church in the Hungarian Reformed Church to plant two more campuses on a a multi-campus university in the second largest city in Hungary. Uh, We came alongside them to help them in some church planting things and to learn from them how they were doing evangelism and outreach in a largely post-Christian, highly secular kind of environment, and that whole partnership, and it truly has been a partnership, it's not just us going to give money, Uh, we've learned a lot, it has blossomed into this thing where the Hungarian Reformed Church has requested the RCA, our denomination, to send missionaries to keep this church multiplication movement growing and moving forward, and we were in on the ground floor of that. It's really quite a stunning thing. The financial support and prayer support of this church has been a, a foundational piece of that. Uh, which the now bishop of the Hungarian Reformed Church is quite hopeful will bring revitalization to their entire denomination. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Thank you, Lord, for for that work. That is incredible. Um, So, go to Josh's thing. That was a long plug for (laughs) Josh's thing after the service. Names of God, the series we're in. We've just been taking a look at, at these biblical names of God because the names of God help us know God. And that's an important thing because if you've spent much time in the church, you know that uh, inadvertently a lot of our church training can teach us that we should know about God rather than seek to know God. God. And there's a huge difference between those two things. The driving kind of ideas behind this whole series, that God is a person, not a religious idea. You know, knowing about God is religion. Knowing God is life. I mean, look at what Jesus prayed in in John 17. He's praying to God. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, O God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is knowing God. And the names of God used in scripture help us to know God. You know, something else Jesus said was that he was primarily in the business of making God known and that he would continue in that work after his death and resurrection. Look what he said, again, in prayer to God. I have made you, God, known to them and will continue to make you known. This is the business Jesus is in, making God known. Now, knowing knowing God is not only possible, it is what God wants for every human being on the planet. And the name of God we're considering today makes that abundantly clear. The name is Jehovah. It appears for the first time in Scripture in Genesis 2-4, but but kind of the, the larger explanation comes in Moses' encounter with the burning bush, which is in Exodus chapter 3. So let me read that for you now, not the whole thing. We'll just do the first... 14 verses, I believe. Hear God's word. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the city of the Israelites has reached me, I'm sorry, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh God said to Moses I am who I am this is what you are to say to the Israelites I am has sent you friends indeed this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God so the name is is Jehovah it's by far the most A popular name for God in the Old Testament occurring a whopping 6,823 times. No, I didn't count it myself. (laughs) Uh, Beyond the most used name, being the most used name in the Old Testament, this is God's most special name. Um, Those who have thought about the names of God In the past, if if you do some reading, seem to categorize them into a couple of categories. The foundational names of God and the compound names of God where we combine a couple different names. The foundational names, Elohim, the first of this series. Jehovah, that which we're considering today. Adonai, the name we'll consider next week. Those are foundational names revealing something of who God is. Uh, Compound names, you might have heard uh, the name Jehovah Jireh the Lord, our provider. It takes two names of God and puts them together to illustrate something that that God does for for, uh, his people. But but even among the foundational names, Elohim, Jehovah, and Adonai, uh, Jehovah stands alone because it is entirely unique. All of the other names for God used in scripture, including Elohim and Adonai, are derived from something that really God does for people or what God has done in in creation. Except for this one, Jehovah. If you take one thing away from this entire series this summer, take this. When Moses asked God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I tell them? When God, when Moses asked God his name, not just what God does, Moses asked God his name, and God answered I am who I am. I want to be really clear here. He walked out of the room, but I told him I was going to pick on him today, Pastor Josh. Uh, We refer to him as Pastor Josh. Sometimes we might refer to him as Pastor. That would be equivalent to referring to God as God. Sometimes we refer to him as Josh. That would be equivalent to referring to God as Jehovah. This isn't just what he does. This is God's actual name. Did you know that? That God has a name. John. Susan. Josh. Crystal. A name. Actually. Here it is. Y-H-W- H. If you look at the actual Hebrew text, there are there are four Hebrew letters in a row, and and this name is not a title revealing what God does or 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 something God is for us. Bible scholars call this the Tetragrammaton. Flows off the tongue, doesn't it? Just four consonants. Uh, We don't have any vowels. Because years ago, the the Israelites dropped them because they never, ever thought of pronouncing this name out loud because it was too holy to speak. But here's what it means. The letters combined means to to be and, and will be. What it means is I am now and always I have always existed and I always will. will. I am forever. That's what God's name means. Do you know what your name means? Names have meaning. You know, to this day, when this name of God appears in Scripture, and and the the Old Testament text is read in a synagogue, The, the reader in that Jewish context reads over the word and instead of trying to pronounce it, simply says, Adonai. And they cover their head when they do it out of a sign of respect as their eyes pass over the holy name of God. Again, the pronunciation has been lost. We don't, we don't know how to say this. Now, I know what you're thinking. You might be thinking, am I smarter than the pastor? Because I know how to pronounce that. That's Yahweh, isn't it? A kind of, the way we got Yahweh was later in, in time, people took the vowels from the name of God, Adonai, and took the vowels and imported them into those four consonants. And that this is how we came up with Yahweh. So Yahweh is not really the way you pronounce God's name. Nobody knows how you pronounce that name. Uh, and, and then from Yahweh, when the scripture was translated ultimately into Latin and then into English, we end up with Jehovah. So Jehovah is really a transliteration of the Hebrew uh, translated into Latin. So it's a bit of a mess, really. But this is our best English version that we have right now for God's actual name. Now again not not Pastor, right? Josh. That's what we're talking about here. Have you ever noticed the difference in your Bibles? If if you have the decoder ring, it helps. You might have seen these names for God. Lord, Lord, and God. And and please notice the difference. The first in all capital letters with the L being a little larger font size, but then the capital O, R, and D being capitals, but a little smaller font size. You will see this in your Bibles. When you see that, it means something. You'll also see capital L, small O-R-D, Lord, and of course we see the name God. Here's the decoder ring. When you see all caps, it means yahweh jehovah that's the word that's being translated when you see the capital l in the small small letters that means adonai that's the name for god that was used most of the time now when it's all caps you know it was yahweh or jehovah when it's small most of the time it's adonai and when you see god most of the time it's elohim the foundational names for god in scripture think about it when you read the bible Take this and apply it to when you're reading because it's important, the way we use God's names. So what does all this mean to us? That, that's all kind of academic, but it has incredible meaning. Now again, this, in the burning bush story, it's not the first time the name appeared. The first time it appeared is in Genesis 2.4. Here's that verse. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God, see it, see it there, all caps, That means Jehovah Elohim. Jehovah, Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. When Jehovah Elohim made the heavens and the earth. Uh, the, the, The first time that the name Jehovah, God's actual name, appears in scripture is right at the beginning of the more detailed account of how God created human beings. That is no mistake. This is God saying, Here's my name. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be friends. It's kind of how we coach our kids when you see a new friend on the playground or something. We coach our kids, and they do quite well at this, if I can brag on them, to say, Hey, my name's my name's Jack. Would you like to play? My name's Tucker. Would you like to play? What's your name? You lead with your name. Right? Friends, God led with his name. He wants to know you. Yeah, God is big and huge and almighty and all-powerful, the strong creator Elohim. But God is Jehovah, close, right here, personal, concerned, never somewhere else and not here. The name Jehovah reveals that God is not only almighty and all-powerful, but personal, close, and concerned about us. More than any other name, this one reveals that God is not an idea. God is a person with an actual name that's not just God. Now, here's a, here's a thing. Move from Genesis 2, story of creation, detailed account of how human beings were made to Genesis 3 when everything went sideways. If you're newer to the Bible, Genesis 3 records when sin entered the world. It's called the story of the fall or the, the fall from the, the grace and full relationship in which we were living with God when we kind of chose to go our own way. And, and here's the first verse of that chapter. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent was more crafty than any of the animals Jehovah Elohim had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He said to the woman, did Elohim really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Wait a second, God was just referred to as Jehovah Elohim the strong creator and his personal name, but, but the serpent's question to, to Eve was, did, did that big all powerful way out there somewhere far away, God, really say you shouldn't eat? Yeah, no mistake that the serpent's temptation began with an effort to depersonalize God. That is no mistake, friends. Uh, to make God out as a distant entity, unconcerned, far off, the idea of religious and intellectual speculation, uh, o- only transcendent, all Elohim and no Jehovah. That was by intent. And you know that voice because it's in your head. And I know it's in your head because it's in my head. If you doubt this for one moment, slow down long enough and get quiet and still enough to explore your inner dialogue, the thoughts and ideas that come. And you will find, I promise, parading around your mind in some form or another the idea that God is distant and that what you do really doesn't matter all that much, you know, you know, what's, what's a little indulgence here or there's not really hurting anyone. And, and who will really know? But you see, that's only true when there's nobody around. And Jehovah's always around. And cares and wants to be known. And, and please know, when I said, if you take one thing away from the series, take this, I really meant that. Because this bit about God being a person, not an idea, about God really being a person with a name is the heart of everything. Because without this, we don't understand the whole rest of the Bible, correctly, I would argue. If we don't understand that God is a person with a name, we, we misunderstand sin we have a low view of sin and therefore a, a misunderstanding of what Jesus has really done on the cross to do away with sin. Sin is, is not a concept. Sin is, is not, not only a concept. Sin is not only just stuff we do wrong every once in a while. Sin is that in which we engage which breaks our relationship with the biggest, most powerful most loving and gracious person around, whose name, by the way, is Jehovah. Sin breaks that relationship. See that the name Jehovah reveals that sin is more about breaking relationship with God than doing something wrong in general. King David knew this he wrote about it in Psalm 51. Do you remember this verse? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, like any Bible verse, you gotta call time out and ask what's really going on here. When David penned that, it was after the whole affair with Bathsheba. If you're, if you're newer to the, to the, the Bible, David was king of Israel when his army was out fighting a war, I think in the spring of the year, if I recall the story correctly. uh, He normally should have been with them, but he bailed on his responsibilities and he was hanging out in the castle watching reruns of Price is Right and not knowing what to do with his time until suddenly he spied a beautiful woman on the top of a building kind of next to the castle. And since he was the king, he said, bring her to me. She was married, but David got her pregnant and then engaged in a huge cover-up, called her husband back from the front lines, Uriah the Hittite, tried to work it out so that the couple could be together so that the child would appear to be his, but Uriah would have none of it because that didn't have any integrity when his men were in the field. So David had him killed. So David say, what? What? You write, against you, God, you only have I sinned? What about Bathsheba and the dead guy, Uriah? Didn't you sin against them too? Yeah. And David really understands sin. There are a bunch of victims of this thing. But at the end of the day... The sin was against God. The ever-present Jehovah who was right there with David every step of the way. When David thought, oh, maybe I should just stick around the castle this year. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. No. No, you shouldn't. Against you and you only have I sinned. I mean, sin, sin is relational, not, not just conceptual. And, and this is the point of the gospel. This is what makes the good news such good news. God healing a relational breach that we could never mend on our own. In Christ, God does not remember our sin against us. That's what it means to forget sin. Sin, by the way, it doesn't mean that you can forget what somebody has done to you that hurt you. Forgiveness is moving toward the place of not remembering that wrongdoing against them. This is the whole thing. It's not religion, it's relationship. It's relationship. It's relationship. I mean, don't be deceived by the massive spiritual assault in your mind that seeks to depersonalize God. Those are all lies. Every single one of them. Not a single one of them is true. God is not distant. God cares. It is not true that God does not care. And don't despair. Jesus is making everything new, including me and you. Even though we know how broken we are. And how far short we fall. It's not ours to say whether we were worthy of the cross or not. We certainly were undeserving. But it's God's to say whether we were worth it or not. And on the cross in Jesus, God said, You are worth it. I want you back. That's the gospel. I want you back into a relationship with me. Not back into thinking of me as an idea. In one respect, Christianity is just, it's just really simple. We wrecked our relationship with God. God will fix it in Jesus if we let him. And life thereafter is about learning to walk with God in all of life, forever. in in a depth of trust that is complete confidence. That's faith, trust. And the beauty of this is that we walk with God always because Jehovah is always close. And as we learn to walk with God, we learn that we can walk with God through anything. We walk with God through good times and through bad times. Through the greatest joys of life and the deepest sorrows of life. We walk with God through doubt and tragedy and divorce and cancer and even death itself, because Jesus preceded us in that and he said he knows the way. And while we've got a thousand questions for God, I'm sure you you do, I do, it's possible to learn and live the reality of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, though our entire life fall apart, we will walk with God because Jesus is alive. I've, I've enjoyed a, a long-term relationship with a coach, leadership coach. He's a dear friend of mine. And he's, uh, a- after, after 12 years, I've, I know his tricks now, right? And one of his tricks is when I kind of get to thinking one way, he just starts asking, well, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? And he makes me answer it. And then after I answer it, and he goes, "Well, from you know, from there, what's the worst thing that could happen?" And he makes me answer it. Well, and from there, what well, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen next? What's the worst thing that could? What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? And every time, it just comes right back to, to Romans eight. If Jehovah is for us. Who can be against us? What's the worst thing that could happen? That does not diminish our pain. That is real. We grieve. Jesus weeps with us. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. He's as brokenhearted as we are about the whole thing. But at the end of the day... God has a name. And if God is for us, who can be against us? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, please. Thank you, Father, that you are Jehovah, that you have a name. A thank you, Jesus, that when you gave us kind of a pattern of prayer, something to remember as we draw near to you, you said we we should lead with our Father in heaven, our our Daddy, our Abba in, in heaven, always remembering our relationship with you and our identity in you, in Christ. So Lord, we thank you. Whatever we're facing today, God, I, I pray that you would provide what we need. Whatever would hold us back, uh, Father, what whatever is, whatever is pressing us down, I, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in a new, fresh way because we know that you said you're pleased to do, to do that if we ask, and, and we ask, and we pray that you would set us free, that you would deliver us from opposition. And we pray, we pray that you would lead us in the, in the right way forward, that we might be able to discern how you're getting our attention and what it is that you're saying to us and that you might empower us to do something about that, to actually follow you, not just think about you. And Father, all of that with no shame and, and no guilt, all with the invitation that you extend to us in Jesus to step back into a full, unhindered relationship with you in complete confidence that you are who you claim to be and that you are alive right now. Jesus, thank you. Help us come toward you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.